So Philippians chapter 3, I hope your heart has been prepared, as I've already mentioned today, to receive the word, prepared through song, prepared through fellowship, prepared through prayer, and now we're opening the word. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I love this time in the week. I absolutely love it. Uh, talking with my brother in the back this morning, um, it was exactly one year ago today that God gave my family and I the grace, uh, gave me the grace to be able to stand in this pulpit for the first time and preach. And I thank God for every day of the last year. I want to thank God for the body of Christ. Thank God for the Holy Spirit of God that gives us the grace every single moment of every single day. So this morning we're back in the Word. Philippians chapter 3, if you can turn your hand out over, you can kind of see right at the top there. Philippians chapter 3 verse 1. I'm tagging this to every single one of the studies as we walk through chapter 3. Because really I believe, even though it's not grammatically connected, I believe contextually it's connected to what's happening here in the rest of chapter 3. And, and here's the primary imperative, I believe. Rejoice in the Lord. Be glad in Jesus. From the inside out, joy is not something that we just put on a face, a facade, and live the Christian life with this fake smile on our face. No, joy is something that happens from the inside out. But joy is awesome in Scripture because the Holy Spirit of God is producing this joy. This joy that drives us to be glad, to rejoice, not simply when things are going well for us. Joy is not dependent on the circumstances around us. It is dependent on the Word of God being coming alive in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, lived out in action. That is true joy. I think through this body and, man, the adverse situations that many in this body work through even this week. What a testimony of grace you have been to the body of Christ. Several Looking back at John Nail, you know, Mike Glasper and others going through surgeries the last couple of weeks. The pain you've gone through. The sleepless nights. And looking and just talking to them, the response of God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is amazing. So praise God for your testimony. And we're going to talk more of that today. But in, in brief reminder, last week, review I should say, Last week, two week, couple weeks ago, we talked about rejoicing in the surpassing worth of Christ. We need to remember that as part of the context. Rejoice in the surpassing worth of Christ, especially over any self-conceived merit, any, anything we think we have that gives us a right standing before God. We cannot compare anything to what Jesus Christ has done on the cross of Calvary and the resurrection. Rejoice in the surpassing worth of Christ. Then we carried from verses 4 to 8 into verses 8 through 11. Last week, rejoice in the blessing of knowing Christ. And what does Paul go to through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? He talks specifically of suffering. Experiencing Christ through pain and suffering. Not simply praying that God would extract us from the suffering or expecting that God is only good if he extracts us from the suffering, but realize that God is good because he's walking with us through the suffering. And Paul says that I might experience Jesus through the suffering. 
Well, that was last week, and actually uh, carries us right into the discussion today. Verse 12 this morning, we're going to get right into verse 12. Um, We're going to talk this morning about rejoicing with the opportunity we have, as it says on the screen up there, to press on. Pressing on. Keep moving. Keep going. When everything within you says to throw in the towel, everything within you says to sit on the couch and just give up, the grace of God through the Spirit of God is what says, keep going. Press on. And so this morning we're going to see that from this text. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. If you would follow along as I read, starting in verse 12. Not that I have already attained or obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anyone, anything uh, you think otherwise, or, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we've attained. So what is this? What is this passage all about? Clearly, through this text, Paul is keying off now on an athletic metaphor. He's using athletic terminology very adequately. Clearly, he's already talked of military terminology through the book. Remember this. The Roman military system. He's already keyed off on a military uh, metaphor. Constantly using military terminology. Then he transitions into even the last text. He talks of financial or accounting terms. This is great. I I love this because through the Holy Spirit of God, Paul is identifying right where we're at through examples. And now he transitions into a little bit different of a metaphor. He starts keying off on athletics, some athletic terms. So as we enter into this passage, our minds should probably be geared towards something like this. You can't quite see it, which is probably not a bad thing because in antiquity, they they didn't have any clothes on. So I used to run without anything on, so I tried to find what was a little bit blurry. But in our minds, we should start thinking about something like this, a race. We need to gear our minds this morning when the gun goes off, ready, set, go. We need to start thinking about this race that's happening. Very clear, this athletic metaphor, the race, the foot foot race is happening. If it's not a sprint, and actually the terminology here is is really talking a bit about a sprint. But I'm going to tell you, through the marathons, I'm just doing some studying this week about these times in the marathons, blows my mind. And these marathons, these long-distance races, especially towards the end, you watch these people pick up their pace. Blows my mind. But when we think of this race, we're thinking about stepping one foot in front of the other. It's a constant progression. It's pressing on to the end. Paul, very clearly, if you can see in your text, and you might want to highlight this or circle it, he uses this terminology, press on. 
press on. Keep going. What does press on mean? Well, it means to move decisively toward an object. To go. It means to run quickly toward a goal. There's a goal in mind and you keep moving towards that goal. These racers should be in our mind almost the entire sermon this morning. Thinking of the call to keep going forward. So before we jump too deeply into this text though this morning, let's just take five minutes for uh, a pastor talk. So maybe some uh, a biblical observation, theological clarification of how the scriptures talks about this race. Because it clearly does in the New Testament. Right now, maybe your mind is going to another passage, Hebrews 12, that talks about this race. Hebrews 12, the author of Hebrews, very possibly Paul, says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I love this. And then we see something else said in verse 2 of Hebrews 12, looking to Jesus. This is so important in this race. In the past, I mean, in these races, I mean, we have a, craw- a finish line with this, this ribbon across. What they would have is a post at the end of the race. First one to the post wins. In our minds, it's not a, a banner, it's not a finish line, it's not a post. It is a person, Jesus Christ. And what does Hebrews 12, 2 say? Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So in this spiritual race, where are we to look? Constantly to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Never take our eyes off the prize, Jesus Christ. That's exactly what Paul says through this text, Philippians chapter 3. I do want to make some some observations, though. As you look through the scriptures, especially the New Testament, talking about this race, carrying on, there are three tenses, or basically three uh, time periods that are talked about in this race. All of it talking about a race, but three different time periods. What are we talking about? We're talking about the past, entering into the race. We're talking about the present, Enduring in the race. Scripture talks about the finish. Enduring the race to the end. That's very important in our minds to to kind of work through that process. All of this is considered as part of the race. How do we enter into the race? In the scriptures it's called a word, it's a word, a term called justification. It's a declaration of righteousness that now qualifies us to be part of the race. You cannot earn a spot in this race. Uh, I don't know if, how many of you, I, don't, I wash it, you know, loosely, but watch the qualifications for the Boston Marathon and all these races you have to go through to be called into the Boston Marathon. You have to go through all of this process. Well, this is not something we do to enter into this other than place our faith in what Jesus has done. That is definite justification. It's what we call positional justification. Hang with me for a minute here. 
positional. Why? Because when God sees us running in this race, he doesn't see our names on the back of our jerseys or our running outfit. What does he see? The robes of Jesus Christ on our behalf. So when we're racing on this race, in this, we're participating in this race, he looks at us and he sees Jesus Christ's righteousness on our behalf. That is what's qualified us for this race. And by the way, let us never forget this definite justification. Constantly, Paul, when he's talking about this race, is referring back to what Jesus did for us on the cross. Very near and dear to our hearts that we not forget the entrance into the race. But this isn't where it stops. The qualification for the race and the, and the starting line, stepping over the starting line into the race is not where it stops because most of the New Testament is actually talking about this middle part of the race, enduring in the race. So in theological terms, we have here definite justification. In the middle ground, we have what's known as progressive sanctification. Maybe some of you recognize these terms. What is sanctification? It means the process of being made holy. It is the day in, day out battle with the flesh where the Holy Spirit of God is growing us into looking more and more and more and more like Jesus Christ, our Savior. That is the endurance of the race. In this race, you have some uphills and some downhills. You have some valleys and some mountaintops. In this race, it's tough some days and it's a little easier some days. In this race, you're thirsty. In this race, you're crying out for help. And that's the assurance of the scriptures, that what has God blessed us with? Once we come into relationship through definite justification, once we're on this race, once we've been saved from the penalty of sin, now we are being saved from the power of sin through the comforter. Who's the comforter? The Holy Spirit of God. We cannot take a single step in this race without the Holy Spirit of God encouraging our hearts. That is what the Holy Spirit of God is doing. So we have here a definite entrance into the race, definite justification, progressive sanctification, and we're pressing and we're pressing and we're looking for that end line. And then we have the beauty of this place. What's here? Jesus Christ, our Savior. This is called permanent glorification, where we now enter into the very presence of God. Definite justification that leads to progressive sanctification that will lead us to an eternal glorification in the presence of God. So where are we here today? On this race, where are we? Well, I'll tell you, we're in one of two positions. I would think most of us are right in the middle here. Maybe in different segments of it, but I'm no, I don't want to take for granted that all of us are already in the race. Why do I say that? The only way to enter into the race is by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. There are some here, as we've been talking, that have been invited to the race. God the Father is calling you to participate in the race. There's no mistake that you are here today. He's calling you to place your faith and trust in him. He's inviting you to participate in this race. He's pulling you, come to me, be part of this race. And what is the response? It is putting our faith in his finished work. So I say you're in one of two positions here today. You're on the sidelines watching, being compelled to participate. 
you're a little nervous, I'm going to ask you and call to you, compel you this morning by God's grace to respond to the call of justification. Come into the race by faith in Jesus Christ. I would not be doing my job as a preacher of the gospel if I did not right now say, please come to Jesus Christ. He has been working in your heart. Would you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? So we are are in one of two positions, either watching the race or participating in the race. For the rest of us here, it is one step in front of another. It is endurance. It is moving ahead. This progressive sanctification is where we're at. It is getting out of bed in the morning, sometimes not feeling, maybe most of the time, not feeling like getting out of bed in the morning, but realizing there is a battle, there is a fight, there is a progression and growth in Jesus Christ that is to happen right now. That is where we're at. And I will also say this, according to this text, none of us are here. (laughs) Why? Why? Because there is not a casket in this room. (laughs) We're all breathing. We're all living. I'm going to tell you one of the struggles in theology is when people try to take what's happening here and place it here. Or I should say what happens here reserved for after we breathe our last breath and our heart stops beating. They try to reserve what's here and bring it into this part. But very clearly from this text, Paul says what happens in the future This eternal glorification, this change of our body, when we see Jesus Christ face to face, we're not there yet. And so that is this text this morning. That was a little longer than five minutes. But let us step into this text this morning. I want us to see how Paul compels us, encourages us to press on, starting with this. I must press on, first of all, realizing that my race is not complete. Paul clearly says this. And I wanted to make this very personal this morning in, in the terminology used. I must press on. Put your name in there. If you are a child of the king, whether you're a, a teenager here or a young adult or, or married or, or wherever you are in this process, maybe you're looking back at your life, whatever it is, since we're in the middle ground here, we must realize, I must realize, that I must press on, realizing that my race is not complete. How does Paul say that? Verse 12, not that I have already attained, obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on. I press on to make it my own, because Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Here, Paul is leading the way through his example. Paul is sharing his example with us and said, I am on this race. I'm compelling you to also participate in this race. In my mind, I go back to some some athletes I've competed with, some really good athletes in in the soccer field. And as I've been making my way and and kind of climbing the ladder with athletics here, there's some of them that have come around me, put their arm around me, and said, you can do this, man. Let's do this together, some of my teammates. I look at Paul, looking at the rest of the people on the race, and he's putting his arm around them and saying, we're doing this together. I'm pressing on, and you're coming with me. That's Paul in this race. And so what does he say? Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. There's a word that's used at the root of this word four times through these verses. It's the word obtained. It's definitely a play on words. 
He says, not that I've already obtained. I haven't grasped it yet. I haven't gotten my hands on it. On what? That's a good question. I have not grasped a full knowledge of Christ that only comes from being in the presence of Christ. I have not yet grasped salvation in its final sense, the glorification that comes at the end of the race. I have not made it there yet. So because of that, and actually we need in our mind to remember the end of verse 11. Remember the verse 11? Attaining to the resurrection of the dead. This is how we enter into that glorification. Because of the resurrection of our Savior, now when we die, we are ushered into his very presence. He says this, but I press on, highlighted there in the red, but I press on to make it my own. I press on. I move decisively toward the object. We've already talked of this. It is to hasten to run quickly towards the goal with unrelenting determination. I'm going to get there. And that is what Paul says here. I'm pressing on to make it my own. To make it my own, here's the same word again. I'm here to grasp it. I'm pressing on to grasp it, to seize it, to apprehend it. Some of your translations will actually say to apprehend, to get it. To apprehend, to take hold of it. Four occurrences of the same word, the same root word. Because Christ Jesus, and continues on, and I love this. Here's why we're on the race. Let us never forget this. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Same word. I'm reaching forward to grasp it. Why? Because he got me. <laughs> He's the one that apprehended me. In our minds, I can't stop, but think that the Apostle Paul, through, through the Holy Spirit, as he's penning these words, thinks back to what happened on the road to Damascus. Remember this. He's persecuting the way, the Christians. And Jesus Christ comes and gets him. I love it. He got me, so because he got me, I'm going to keep moving forward. That's this passage. I press on to make it my own because Christ made me he got me. In my mind, I think of my little two-year-old daughter. You know, there's times when uh, we're watching a sports game, and this little girl is just oblivious to the world sometimes, and she's running right to the middle of that match. What's going to happen? She's going to get destroyed. And what do I do? Run out there, and I grab her. Get over here with Dad. All right. Maybe even better yet, what happens at the end of every service when the little kids are running around and she starts running towards that parking lot out there. We run and grab her. Or maybe one of you do. Thank you so much. <laughs> Apprehend her. I think of that in terms of what happened to the Apostle Paul. He's living his life headed into this destruction all based on his own merit. And Jesus Christ reaches down and says, I got you, buddy. I'm going to say that's exactly what God the Father has done through Jesus in every one of our lives. He's apprehended us, brothers and sisters, in Christ. And Paul says, why am I reaching forward? Here's why. Because he got me. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Math, the word consider is this mathematic term, actually. It's calculating. It says very simply, I've calculated it, and I realize that I'm still in the race. I haven't finished. <laughs> 
we like to look at distances. And he's like, I'm watching this, and maybe I'm towards the end of my race here. But calculating it, I'm not done yet. I'm still breathing. I'm still working towards it. I'm still pushing on. I'm pressing on. As tough as it is right now, I'm pressing on. So in this play of words he's used four times, here's the basic flow of thought. I haven't seized it yet, but I'm pressing forward to seize it. Why? Because he seized me. So I consider myself as still trying, still pressing on to seize it, to keep going. A simple application is this. Brothers and sisters in Christ here at Cross Point Community Church, our race isn't over. If you are here and you are a child of God, you are here for a purpose. God has something for you to do. Press on. Keep growing. He continues on in this discussion. I must press on realizing that my race is not complete. We need to remember that. This perfection has not been attained yet. This guides and guards our theology. Then I must press on, secondly, looking forward and not behind. This is so good. Pressing forward, not consumed with what happened in my past, but press forward into what God has for my future. One thing I do, Paul says, he says, but one thing I do, and actually that's only two words in the Greek. It's, very, it's like a climax pause, and then he just uses the, the conjunction and the, and the uh, number. It's like he's saying, but one, one thing I'm doing, keep me on track, is this. Forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting means to disregard. Not giving it a second and third and fourth and continued thought. Not getting distracted by it. Intentionally putting it out of mind. Yes, men, it's like that to-do list, that honey-do list. Two months ago that you constantly put out of your mind. Paul is saying, in a spiritual way, there's something I put out of my mind. I put out of my mind my past. Maybe a bit of a more frivolous way here, I think in my mind of Lion King's great misguided theologian, Pumbaa, to Timon, who said, you just got to put your behinds in the past. Simone says, no, you put your past behind you. But sometimes we just got to put our behinds in the past and keep moving forward. Paul, putting my past there and reaching forward. And when you think about Paul's past, what happens? What happened in Paul's life? Think about it. As he's traveling around the known world, who does he regularly see? I'm going to tell you, he's going to see children who've grown up a little bit now. He's going to see dads and moms. He's going to see grandma and grandpas who look at him. And the temptation of their hearts is to go rip the Apostle Paul's head off. Why? Because that man put my dad in jail. And I never saw him again. That man destroyed and ripped apart our family. And the Apostle Paul constantly living with the weight of this on his shoulders. His past successes and his past failures. Thinking, I did this traveling around the known world and looking at people in their eyes and saying, I'm so sorry, and I want to tell you 
thank you for trusting the grace of God on my behalf. I'm also going to say there's some here in this room right now that look back in your life with some great regrets. I'm also going to say praise God for his amazing grace. We can press forward. Keep moving. Keep moving in the race, putting what's happened in the past behind us and pressing forward to what's in front of us. He actually uses this terminology, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. This is another Greek word. It's not just pressing on, it's this. <laughs> it's reaching with all you got. Right there, keep it on going. Actually, I had a picture, I almost posted it up here. It wasn't very clear. But it's of a guy actually spread eagle flying towards the finish line. The guy next to him is pushing forward like this, and this guy is completely stretched out trying to get to the end line. That's sort of the terminology Paul uses here. Forgetting what's behind me and I'm pressing forward. I don't have enough time to dwell on my past because I'm looking forward at what Jesus has for me in the future. I press on toward the goal, the prize. And what is this? Now here's another picture. I love this one. These guys are fully stretched forward, getting forward. And I think about that in terms of our Christian life. Stretching forward. Keep moving. Day in, day out. Moving forward in our spiritual lives. He says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is so packed with meaning. The eternal prize, the reward, the award, however you want to look at it. This eternal glorification in the presence of God. It's not just a simple wreath. And this is what they thought of as the reward in this time period in these Roman games and whatnot. This wreath, this olive branch leaf that they could hang over their head or maybe over their shoulders. Maybe it was a celery branch of some sort. But you know that that one isn't going to even last through the year. As much as you try to protect it, that one's going away. And Paul's saying, hey, I'm talking about an eternal reward. This one will not fade away, as Paul says to the church of Corinth. This one's not going away. I love this because Paul says, for the prize of the upward call of God. This is a reminder that we didn't enter into this race on our own. It is God's grace that brought us into this race. It is God's upward call to get us into this race. And then all of this is surrounded by the last three words, in Christ Jesus. As we're entered into this race, this race is surrounded by the fact that we have been purchased by his blood. We are in him and he is in us. In Christ Jesus, we have a new identity in this race. It is no longer our name on the back of our jersey. It is his name on the back of our jersey. It is in Christ Jesus. One last point to be made from this text is this, I must press on, not only realizing that my race is not complete yet, not only looking forward, not behind, but here's another point to be made. I must press on, staying on the designed course. <laughs> I had some fun this week. You ever, by the way, I'm, I'm not going to get into it right now, but if you want to have some fun, look at, even this last year, how many people tried to cheat at marathons. There's actually a board of people that discipline people that cheat in marathons. All the creative ways of, of, of trying to cheat through history around these, 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 on these marathons, these runs. It blows your mind, the creativity of people jumping on subways and bikes and hiding out in bushes and all this stuff. 
And I think about this. I think that Paul's saying, hey, if you're on this race, stay on the course. Stay the path. And here's how he says this. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, you think otherwise, God, God will reveal this also to you. Here it is, verse 16. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Here's how you stand in the course. Hold to it. He starts off this by saying, let those who are mature think this way. This is definitely a play on words because previously in verse 12, he's already said we haven't completely matured, right? We're not here yet. Even, this has a flavor of sarcasm about it even. But, but Paul talking here and he says, basically all who are moving forward, you realize you haven't obtained, you're not mature, but this, the really mature ones are the ones that are actually stepping forward. They're taking steps in progressive sanctification. He says, think this way. We've already seen this phrase in the book. Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. And what is this mind? Humility. Preferring others before ourselves. Which is so good. Because this flavor of staying on the course is realizing that I'm not the only one in the race. And that's the difference here. This race, a lot of times, is I'm pressing on because I'm going to get there. Here's this race. That everyone's on this race is on the same team. We're running hand in hand. I, I could almost put up some pictures here, some of my favorite, of team members holding up other team members getting across the finish line. It's so good. So the last flavor of these verses, realizing you're not the only one that's doing it. You're working together with other believers as we're pressing towards. It is very personal, but it's also, there's a corporate sense of here that we're helping each other on this way. Helping each other move towards the eternal prize. He says this, and if, I, I love this. If anything you think otherwise, well, God will reveal that also to you. <laughs> if any of you have another attitude or thought on this, well, God will show you. It's only a matter of time. You ever said that to your kids? You know they're going to say, Dad, Mom, you're right. I told you so. <laughs> just wait. You'll see I'm right. It's almost like Paul saying, just wait. You'll see I'm right here. But just keep pressing on anyways. Even if you don't feel like pressing on, keep pressing on. And God will reveal it to you that this is the call of every single believer to press on and press on and keep pressing on, even when we don't feel like it. And then remember, in a humble way, of course, I, I told you so. <laughs> I love that. I think that's kind of what Paul's saying here. I, you'll remember someday, and I told you so. God will show it to you. But then he says this, only let us hold true to what we've attained. Hold true means to faithfully conduct yourself. Some of your translations will actually use the word walk. One step in front of another. Hold true to the pace Stick to the game plan. What's the game plan, brothers and sisters in Christ? The first couple chapters in Philippians, he's already talked about it. The game plan is live a gospel-centered life consumed with Jesus Christ, living it in unity and humility. This is the game plan. This is the course as we run from this spot to that spot, we're consumed with what Jesus Christ has done for us. Our life is centered around the cross and resurrection. We're taking one step in front of another, looking for that prize. And what do we do? We're driven by unity and humility. 
Only let us hold true to what we've obtained. Stay the course. Don't cut corners. Don't veer to the most convenient shortcut. Hold fast to the game plan, even when everything about you doesn't feel like holding to the game plan. So if you would summarize this passage, we could talk of this passage for another couple weeks. If you would summarize these verses, I think you'd have to come down to something like this. Because of verse 1, talking about rejoice in the Lord, I believe driving the discussion through this, through this section, sustained joy comes as we press on. Sustained joy comes that, that inside smile that is expressed on our face It comes as we press on in the race. Have you ever seen someone in the race and you know they are hurting? Every part of them is hurting. I mean, up in Leadville, Colorado, we had this 100-mile run, a peak-to-peak run. Uh, It's an ultra marathon. And guys would come from around the world to run this 100 miles, peak-to-peak, to the point of exhaustion at the end of the race where they didn't even know, couldn't even hardly recognize family members. I mean, they're running up to 13, I think 13.5 uh, elevation, and they're coming back down to 10. Running, I mean, if you didn't have a pacer, you'd run right into the lake. <laughs> they're just delusional. But somehow at the end of the race, as tired as they were, they could see that line, and all of a sudden, this faint smile you see come across their face. And I tell you, brothers and sisters in Christ, rejoice. There's sustained joy in pressing on to the prize. Rest is coming. Glorification is coming. So what? How can we make, what's this passage going to do in our lives this week? And I would ask this, have I truly started the race? Again, a question that should pierce right to the depths of who we are. Are you in this race? Have you placed your faith and trust In Jesus Christ, who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You cannot enter into this race without faith in the one, the only one who can save your soul. Would you respond today? Would you come to Jesus Christ, whether you're a teen or an older person in this room, whoever you might be, would you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ I have one other question this morning. Am I truly pressing on in the race? Are you? Are you moving forward? Are you putting your faith to action? Stepping one foot in front of the other? There's some in this room that are up in age. I want to say I praise God for a godly grandpa sitting in the back there who I know grows in Jesus Christ every day of his life. Talking with him a bit on Friday and just what his excitement about what God's doing in his life, in this church, in this community. Growing till we breathe our last breath, pressing on. But Pastor Andrew, doesn't the scripture say to be still and know that God is God? Well, yes, it does. Isn't there this theology that says, let go and let God? Oh, dear brother and sister in Jesus, please be cautious of one of the most harmful theological persuasions ever. It is a persuasion that warrants passivity in sanctification. 
Yes, there are times to wait on the Lord and be of good courage. Yes, trust God, especially in rough times, especially when your wheels seem like they're spinning. Yes, let God battle it out for you. But we must remember that the overwhelming argument of the scripture is not let go and let God as I sit on the couch and watch him uh, do everything. That is not the argument of the scripture. The argument of the scripture is not let go and let God sit on the couch. The argument of the scripture is trust God and get going. Take another step. Press on. Serve. Love. Yes, I'm waiting through this physical trial, this relational trial. Yes, it's a struggle, but you know what? I can serve today. I can love today. I can say no to the flesh today and yes to righteousness today by God's grace. I can grow. I can bear fruit because of the Holy Spirit of God in my life. Trust God and let us get going. My brother and sisters in Christ, let us press on. I think we have the time for this, but I want to close out today with just a story. One of my favorite athletes ever, ever. I love athletes. Here's one of my favorite. Any of you recognize the name Cliff Young? All right, good. (laughs) There he is. That guy doesn't look so intimidating, does he? Later on in his life on the right, 61-year-olds on the left. In 1983, Cliff Young, a 61-year-old Australian potato farmer, entered the seven-day ultramarathon from Sydney to Melbourne, which is approximately 545 miles. It's one of the toughest ultramarathons in the world. Runners from around the world came to compete. Most of these athletes were uh, were less than 30 years old. Most of these athletes had sponsors, Nike, Puma, Adidas. They were decked out in their fancy running gear. The runners were conditioned for this grueling race, and they had, a, they had trained tirelessly for it. In contrast, Cliff, I love it, he wore his farm gear, his overalls, his overshirt, and his rain boots. Cliff had no formal training, nor a coach. Most people, including the media, looked at him on the starting point and just laughed. They thought it was a joke. In fact, the media went and asked him, what are you doing? You're going to have a heart, to- a heart attack in the first 100 meters. <laughs> I love this because Cliff was so convinced, and here's what he said. He was convinced that he was qualified to the run the race because he had grown up on a sheep ranch. As a kid, when the storm was coming in, he would round up the two to 3,000 sheep. They didn't have horses or dogs that could help like that. He would do it on his feet. Round up the sheep that were scattered over the 2,000 acres. And sometimes it would take him three days of running to get all the sheep in. The previous winner of the race had taken seven days to run the 545 miles. Most runners would run for 18 hours and then sleep for six hours. Cliff, I love his plan. Don't stop. (laughs) And he didn't. He kept pushing forward one step at a time. While everyone slept at night, Cliff kept running, pressing on. Actually, Cliff didn't run like a runner. He actually shuffled, just like you would expect from a 60-year-old man. This helped him conserve his energy. 
Cliff didn't stop at all for the first two days. Even though he was left way behind in the dust, barely moving, people thought there's no way this guy could finish. Cliff continued at his steady pace. He made up countless miles every single night. On the fifth night, as everyone slept, Cliff shuffled right past all of them. By the time the other runners awoke, Cliff was way too far ahead of them to even catch up. Cliff Young not only won the race, but he beat the previous record by nearly two days. Second place winner was more than nine hours behind him. He had finished the race in five days, 15 hours, and four minutes. Cliff became a national hero that day when he was awarded the prize money of $10,000. He said, I didn't race for the money. He gave the money away to the five other guys. that Only five finished the race. He gave the money to the other five guys. When asked how he had run the race without any sleep, he said, I imagined I was chasing sheep, trying to, get, trying to outrun the storm. His slow running style was later named the Young Shuffle, and it has been adopted by other elite ultramarathon runners. Following in Young's footsteps, several modern ultramarathoners attempt to simply press on until the race is over. I don't know where you're at in your race today. But with a smile on your face from a heart that has been changed, will you press on another day?